watching online and here today. We hope you can pull up your outline. And I was thinking about this. You know, I suppose there's people that are thinking, dude, are you going to ever move on to the <laughs> Philippians 3, 10 through 4? Well, come on, man. <laughs> come on. And so there, I was also thinking about this too, that I remember um, I grew up in church, and I'm grateful for parents that brought me. It's a great habit to get into. But how I was thinking about even Paul's letter here, how powerful it is, life-changing. But sometimes it takes time to resonate with people. There's a chipping away that goes on Sunday after Sunday. And, and finally, on a Sunday, you're here, you've heard this maybe three, four, five times, and it's like finally the light goes on, you know? And you say, now I get it, you know? Now I understand. And so I think that's a, that's a danger where we can just speed through God's word and not allow his spirit to work in and through us. And we definitely want that to happen. And we need that to happen. So, um, yeah, we, um, I've got my outline. I hope you do too. Um, and we will press on this morning. We're going to see a map from Australia. I don't know if you've ever been there, but um, uh, it's a big country, man. It's a big country. Uh, and so we're going to isolate between Sydney coming down to Melbourne, and let's, let's take the next map. That kind of brings it up to, to where you get a, a front row seat. Yeah. Why are we talking about Sydney and, Austin and Melbourne? Well, the world's longest race in the world is called the Ultra Marathon. It's 543 miles and seven-tenths of a mile. Just throw that in. I, I would lean toward the seven-tenths of a mile <laughs> if I was in an ultra marathon. <laughs> Yeah, that's where I'd go. Um, but it starts in Sydney, and it ends in Melbourne. And uh, back in 1983, uh, 150 world-class athletes from around the world converged on Sydney to begin this race. And uh, all the athletes, you know, they had their cool running clothes on. You know, you know what those look like. Um, and, of course, they were all in great shape. All you had to do was look at them and say, wow, you know. They're ready to go. And then, out of nowhere, this dude, 61-year-old Cliff Young, shows up. He's a, he's a potato farmer, and he's a sheep shepherd in Australia. And he comes with his overalls and galoshes over his work boots, and he walks up to the registration table, and everybody in the stands and around thought, you know, oh, Cliff, he probably came to watch. But no, he, he came to run. 
And uh, they gave him the number 64 that he uh, pinned on his shirt. And then the time came for the race to begin. The gun went off and it all began. Uh, Before we jump into that race, let's do a quick backstory on Cliff Young. He grew up on a 2,000-acre farm as a kid. He was in charge of watching 2,000 sheep on his own. His parents were very poor. They didn't have any four-wheel drive uh, vehicles or any horses to, to help you know, keep the sheep together. And when storms would come through, and we know they come through in Australia, uh, Cliff was responsible to get out in those open fields and, and gather those sheep together. Uh, his purpose was not to... Uh, lose one sheep in the process. And sometimes it would take up to two to three days before he rounded them all up again and uh, brought them back home. And so that's the background. And, and uh, as the race started and Cliff took off, um, the crowd started laughing at Cliff because he had a unique way of running. Um, it wasn't It wasn't an actual running style, but it was more of a shuffle, you know. So he he would lean forward and he would just, like this, this was his style, you know, the shuffle, the Cliff Young shuffle. Maybe you want to pick that up someday (laughs) on your seven-tenths mile marathon run. The shuffle, man. And so, um, yeah, he took off and... Five days and 15 hours and four minutes later, uh, Cliff Young shuffled across the finish line in first place. Yeah, he won the race. He won the race. He he didn't win it by a few seconds or minutes like you may think. Actually, the closest runner behind him was nine hours and 56 minutes behind. Almost, you know, 10 hours back. I'd say that's a pretty impressive win. How about it? (laughs) give it up for cliff uh yeah man um well done and the question is how did he win and i know your curiosity is about ready to explode there and so to run this marathon the 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 runners the athletes had trained to run 18 hours a day and then they would sleep for six hours so Run 18 hours, sleep for six, day after day. But the problem was nobody told Cliff. (laughs) That was one of those oops, man. Uh, And so Cliff, when he took off, he didn't sleep at all. He just kept shuffling uh, day after day. And, uh, you know, that five days and 15 hours and four minutes later, crossing the finish line, he became a national hero in Australia. And uh, part of it was he he won $10,000 prize for first place. And Cliff was the kind of guy where he gave that money away, $7,000 away to the other runners. He felt so bad for them. (laughs) He pitied them, man. Uh, You know, just kind of take the pain off, you know, those guys that lost. And... um, so some of these professional runners um, kind of a, have studied Cliff's style uh, because it is aerodynamic and it is energy efficient. 
Anyway, Cliff Young came in his work clothes, his galoshes over his work boots. Every other runner had their gear on. They looked very professional. They looked like they had it together. But Cliff won. And you may be here today, friend, and you feel like you just don't measure up. You know, you don't have the athletic gear on spiritually to cross a finish line. Well, the point is, it's not how you're dressed, it's who is inside you. It's Jesus Christ who sees value and worth on you. He is the one that has forgiven you. He is the one that calls you his son and daughter. And because you may feel intimidated, even there, there may be folks in this place or watching online, you might feel, hey man, I'm not spiritual like everybody else in this room, you know? I'm, I'm messed up. I don't see how God can use me. Listen, stop right there. Being steady day after day is how you cross the finish line. And once again, you don't have to make an appearance in church or wherever it is. You try to impress people or you're putting on a show. You know, I'm at church again. You know, I'm doing this over again. It's a routine. It's a ritual. That's kind of where Paul landed, you know, saw when he was a Pharisee. And that's how the religious community lived. They were all dressed up with nowhere to go. They were the blind leading the blind, as Jesus would say. That's why Jesus really went after those people, the religious community, because he saw how far away they were from God, caught up in their rules and regulations and dressed so nice. And so I want to encourage you today to embrace the great love of God because he made you in a very unique way. Nobody else in the world has been like you or will be like you, friend. You are loved by God. And so we know that the Christian life, as a follower of Christ, it's not a hundred-yard dash. It's not the seven-tenths of a mile deal, man. It is a long run, right? It is. We know that. And that's why it, it's important that we keep our eyes on the goal. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and I know Brett <clears throat> Hollis hit this back in December. That was a long time ago. That was last year, right? That was a long time ago. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it, it relates well to what Paul is writing. He says that since um, we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance. Let us run with endurance like Cliff Young did. There's a lot of Christians today that are sleeping spiritually. They've gone to sleep. They've lost their zeal for that relationship with Jesus Christ. They've They've allowed his love to grow cold in their core.
And so especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Now, Paul is using, some believe Paul wrote Hebrews, and we know that Paul was into um, sports. He, you know, he probably watched Cincinnati, if he was alive, would watch Cincinnati beat them, and L.A. beat San Fran. He would have watched those games. He was into it. He was into athletic events. Because when you read his writings, he's always using that imagery. And even here, it's, it's running a race. It's, um, but back in Paul's day, when the Olympics were going on, those who were preparing for those races would put weights on their bodies in training. They would put added weight on, and they would train with added weights. But before the race, they would take that additional weight off so that they could run efficiently. And they could run those long distances without inhibition and restriction. So, so what Paul, the writer of this text, is saying is we need to get rid of those extra weights that might be slowing us down. Nick kind of hit that a little bit earlier. You know, what, is, what is keeping you from running running without restraint, you know, what's restraining you, what's, what's crippling you. We need to get rid of it. We need to get rid of that extra weight. And um, I'm reminded of um, Carl Sandburg. He said, there is an eagle in me that wants to soar, and there's a hippopotamus in me that wants to wallow in the mud. Much of the time... The hippopotamus seems to win. And when you look at that eagle, and we heard this yesterday, that God wants us to, to, to live in victory. He wants us to, not in perfection, but victory. And to be able to soar as an eagle, you know, to soar above the heights, not being chained to a cage or anything like that. And then we look at the hippopotamus. This is where people, they become so comfortable in the mud, you know. All the weight that has attached itself to them, they can't get out of the mud. But the mud is so cozy, that's where they camp. And I, I really think Carl Sandberg hit it hard. He, much of the time he said the hippopotamus seems to win in my life. And I'd like to submit that to you. Are you soaring as an eagle? Are you, have you been liberated from the bondage, the addictions, the life-controlling habits that can attach themselves to you, that keep you from soaring as an eagle, or are you stuck in the mud? Is that a self-portrait of you for 2022? Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Because at the end of the day, we know that the Lord 
wants us to soar like an eagle. That's what Paul was doing, by the way, when he was chained to a praetorium guard. He wasn't wallowing in the mud feeling sorry for himself. No, he was soaring above his circumstances, considering it a privilege to be able to share his faith with the Roman guards around him. That's a privilege. And so let's go to uh, Philippians uh, 3. And uh, today we'll start at verse 12. Instead of verse 10. So you might say, that's progress. Okay. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Paul in this text basically is renouncing his past of being a religious leader, of being a Pharisee, of, of, of really um, you know, hitting the pinnacle of the religious community. And he's saying, man, I tried that. I tried being religious. I tried doing it better. I tried keeping the law, but I kept coming up empty. It doesn't work. And so he moved out of being a hippo and became an eagle in the eyes of Almighty God because God forgave him and Paul believed it. And all of those past weights that he was carrying fell off and he was able to soar as a man of God, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so... um, We're pressing on, and the reward that you and I are going to receive is when we cross that finish line, when we enter heaven, that prize, man. And let me tell you, Cliff Young had a $10,000 prize. Well, let me tell you, this is going to be so much better. You know, it's going to be so much better. So uh, number four in your notes, we're jumping all the way down Uh, Verse 13, no brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. The message puts it this way, I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. I'm not turning back. There's too many in America today that call themselves Christians, maybe even followers of Christ but they have been compromised and they're turning back. They're jumping off the lane that God has placed them in in this this race for life, this marathon that we're on. They're jumping off and calling it the the, the end of the day. You know, I don't want to do this anymore. And um, Paul says, I'm not turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. There has to be that something happens on the inside of you where you resolve that you will not turn back. That your goal in life is to cross the finish line. And not just in a, in a weak way. You know, oh, by the... 
you know, skin of my teeth or, oh, I just... No, but you finish strong. There has to be that kind of commitment. There has to be that kind of uh, mindset that nothing's going to hold you back. So Paul says, I focus on this one thing. And um, in crossing the finish line, runners always look forward to that string at the finish line as they stretch out to cross it, leaning forward, stretching forward. And that image that Paul is giving to the church at Philippi, he's, he's declaring his desire to grow spiritually. You know, I want to keep on stretching. I'm going to keep on reaching out. I'm going to keep that string, that finish line out in front of me. We need that laser type focus. Now, for all you tightrope walkers in the room today, watching online, okay, look at the intensity in those runners, man. Man, that's inspiring. Let's go on to the tightrope walker here. We don't have them. The tightrope walker isn't doing it anymore. <laughs> just got the memo. Anyway, for all your tightrope walkers, you know what you do. You don't look down and you don't look back on the rope, do you? That will be your demise. You, you have to look forward to the other side of where you're ending up. That is the exact picture that Paul is creating for the body of Christ that we don't look down at our circumstances and we don't look back behind us on what I'm missing out on. We always are looking forward. And we know, Paul says, I focus on this one thing. And that includes forgetting the past. We hit this last Sunday, and I just, again, um, I think it's important that we um, we allow that to happen. We, we forget the past. And we know that Paul chose to do that very thing. Because too many followers of Christ um, are shackled by regrets of their past. They really are. They're shackled by it. They're crippled by it. For some reason, they cannot... Um, comprehend the fact that God could forgive them and then in turn they forgive themselves and they get out of that hippo mud and they get into that eagle flying you know and Paul is saying no don't do that during the 1984 Olympics in LA a, a, the favorite to win the 110 high hur meter hurdles was Greg Foster some of you may remember that race he was you know he was he was the dude, man. He was gonna he was gonna win the race. They, the the network did a three minute commentary on his on his life. You know where he came from. They expected him to win, and the day of the race went off. The runners took off, and you know Foster's out in the lead. He vaulted over that last hurdle, and he turned. As he's up in the air, he turns back just to see what's going on behind him, where the next runner might be. And it cost him a few hundredths of a second on the time clock, enough for him to lose that race to another American, Tom Jefferson. 
And Paul is saying, man, if we keep, it's kind of like Lot's wife looking back on Sodom and Gomorrah. What am I missing? You know, what am I, what am I leaving behind? I, I want that back again. Don't look back. Keep your eyes forward. And we see that forgetting in the past doesn't mean to fail to remember. Man, my wife asked me stuff. Do you remember? And I said, I don't remember. I mean, I honestly don't remember. Do you have that problem? (laughs) Don't you remember when this? No, I don't remember that. There will come a day when I will remember in the sweet by and by, right? Um, but forgetting the past means no longer being influenced or affected by our past. Now here, Paul, when he's using this word forgetting the past, it was a Greek term um, in the ancient athletic term relying on a runner who um, outran everybody else in a race. Once they got into the lead, um, they would never look back. That was in the Greek culture. Once you got into the lead, you would never, you were committed never to look back. Paul's using that same term here for followers of Jesus Christ. So the ones who focus on that tape before them, that's the goal, not seeing who's behind you. Because here's the thing. This is an easy trap to fall into. Look how far in front, you know. Uh, Our guy Cliff Young could have said, man, look how far in front I am. I think I'm going to take a nap. (laughs) Didn't even enter his mind. He just kept going. And when we tend to look back, we see, man, look how far in front I am spiritually, you know. God is so blessed to have me. You know, as a follower of Christ, man, I am so spiritual. And that's the kind of trap we fall in. We look back and look, man, I, I am really doing good. I mean, I, th- they're involved in this stuff, and I've let that go. And that's why Paul says, listen, he, Paul could have got caught in that trap, and he chose not to. You know, we, we pat ourselves on the back, and no, 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 that's a, that's a terrible trap. Uh, to fall into. So, and then here's the cool thing. Hebrews 10, 17, Jesus says, I will never again remember their sins. And I want to, I just want this to blow up in all of our hearts and minds today. I will never again remember their sins. Now, when I was younger, my impression of God was he was old, he was senile, and he had a bad memory, you know, and he had a lightning bolt. Now he was going to get me. If I messed up, definitely wrong, wrong. But um, it's not that God has a bad memory. It's he's saying, I will no longer hold their sins against them. He's saying their sins can no longer affect their standing with me or influence my attitude towards them. Listen to this, friends, in Colossians 1.22. 21 and 22, Paul writes, this includes you who were once far away from God. That was us, wasn't it? I was once far away from God. You were his enemies. I was an enemy of God. I was separated from him by my evil thoughts and actions. That was me. Yet now, 
He, Jesus, has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. There's a lot of followers of Christ that still see themselves as sinners. And that's a wrong, that's not what this says. It says, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy. You know that word holy means? It means you're a saint. You're not a, a, a saint that's in stone somewhere, you know. Man, you are living, but you're a saint in the eyes of God. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That's it. That's where you and I need to land and agree on and say, that's me. I used to be a sinner, but when I put my faith in Christ, he calls me holy. He sees me as righteous. When he looks at me, he doesn't see my past mess-ups and, and, and the, all the baggage, man, of my past. When I bring that before him, he forgives me. And it's as if it never happened in the eyes of God. Because you, your sin has been taken out and it's been replaced with the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ, man. And so that's why a holy God, the Father, when he looks at you, he says, that's my son. That's my daughter. I love them so much. I am passionate about that relationship with them. So friends, I just want to encourage you today, man. Um, Embrace the fact that God loves you. He's forgiven you, and he calls you holy. You're part of the beloved. The beloved meaning the family of God. In the late 1990s, Pete Peterson was appointed U.S. ambassador to Vietnam. Peterson served six years as a POW in the dreaded Hanoi Hilton prison camp. Some of you may have heard of the brutal treatment there. When he was asked how he could return to the land where he endured years of starvation, brutal torture, this is what he said, I'm not angry. I left that at the gates of the prison when I walked out in 1972. I just left it behind me and decided to move forward with my life. That's the message that the Spirit of God is saying to you and to me this morning. It's time to walk out of the Hanoi Hilton that you've allowed yourself to live in. To allow God, put it on the table, say, God, this is, this is what I've been carrying. I'm giving it to you. I'm letting it go today. I'm coming out of the mud with the hippos, man. And I'm going to start flying like an eagle. How about you? Father, thank you this morning for your good word, Lord. 
Thank you for the encouragement that we have to run after you. Lord, run after you. We run after you because we love you. We pursue you because we want to know you more. We have been forgiven. We've been set free. And Lord, we thank you for the good work that not only have you started, but you will continue to do until you come back again. That day is coming very soon. So we keep looking forward to that finish line. And I pray for each person in this room, those watching online, Lord, if they have never put their trust in you, they have never allowed that relationship with their creator God to begin, I pray this morning that they would simply identify themselves, you know what, I am a sinner. Sin will keep me out of heaven. One sin will keep me out of heaven. But I realize, Jesus, you died and you rose again. And so I'm going to place my trust in you alone today. The cool thing is you died for me even while I was a sinner. Man, what a, what a substitute you were. You took my place. And so this morning, Lord, I'm trusting Jesus. I'm trusting you. That you died for me. You will forgive my sins, and this relationship will start brand new today. In your name we pray, amen.